Welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a pre-seed venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in product-focused teams on day zero. If you're starting a new company or want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital or email us at hello at notation.vc. If you're interested in working at a Notation portfolio company, check out jobs.notation.vc. This episode is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank and Cooley LLP. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB services, visit svb.com. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. It's the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. We've worked with Cooley since the beginning of Notation. They've helped us form all three Notation funds. We recommend them to all the startups we work with and many of our VC peers as well. Learn more about the firm and check out its site for startups and investors at CooleyGo.com. Frederick Gross is a principal at Storm Ventures, where he's invested in companies like Room 8, Splashtop, Blind, and Comedo. He's also a co-founder at Black VC, which was formed to connect, engage, empower, and advance Black venture investors by providing a focused community built for and by Black venture investors. You can learn more at blckvc.com. Previous to Storm Ventures, Frederick spent two years as a CEO of Stanford Student Enterprises, with more than 100 employees and total assets exceeding 18 million, including overseeing Stanford's accelerator program. Frederick, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. We were just talking that we're using a new recording mechanism. So hopefully this goes well, but thank you so much for for coming out with us. Absolutely. I'm I'm excited for the, the conversation we're about to have. And and look, I think this is a conversation that hopefully will resonate well with, with a lot of your listeners as well. I know it will. So uh, without further ado, will you give us the quick rundown on yourself and your path into becoming a venture capitalist and some of the learnings and experiences along the way? Absolutely. Well, first of all, my name is Frederick Gross. I'm a principal at an early stage B2B focused firm called Storm Adventures, where I've been for about four and a half years now. And funny enough, you know, my path into venture was one that was really an accidental one. It was a path that I ended up on because as I was evaluating sort of company jobs um, after sort of my first full time job, at, you know, after I graduated from Stanford, I went to one of my personal mentors who was helping me sort of think through tech. Right, he had a GSB, so Stanford Business School, de- you know, degree. Had been in tech for his entire career, and I was asking for guidance on how to think through these three different jobs. They'd raised different amounts of money. They were you know, all PM roles, but, you know, vastly different compensation packages. And as I was walking through the conversation with this mentor about sort of the challenge that I was having, he sat back at the end of letting me run my mouth for like 30 minutes and said, I think you should be thinking and asking a different question, which is, 
why aren't you breaking, trying to break into venture? And why don't you try to become a VC? Because that'll help you answer these very questions on how to think through different companies and which ones might be more interesting for you to work at or for you to invest in as a, as a venture investor. And, and he had this incredible sort of insight that I, that I didn't have, which was I was also pretty uniquely positioned to be able to be successful in breaking into venture because that first role I had post Stanford incorporated running one of the incubator accelerator programs at the university. And so I had this network of VCs in my network that really weren't diverse, but were actually out there investing and, and sort of clear participants in this ecosystem. And I had this rich network of Stanford founders and entrepreneurs, given that my first job at a Stanford was actually running this nonprofit that existed at Stanford to give students an entrepreneurial business experience. And so, you know, every year we work with over 150 Stanford students that wanted to learn from business with a hands-on approach. And then we also ran programs to help student entrepreneurs sort of learn about venture capital and the whole ecosystem. But I never put those pieces together at the time. And so that's really what led me onto this journey and this path. And I'm grateful of that mentorship and that sort of fundamental push one way. And then the next thing for me became, you know, which fund do I want to be at? What type of investing do I want to do and what stages? And ultimately, I felt you know that early stage investing resonated more, mostly with me and my network and sort of the things that I was excited about doing. And I ended up on the enterprise side because I felt personally, I was not going to be the, the, the most representative of the average consumer in the United States. I was of the belief that you needed to really understand consumer trends and be you know, on top of that kind of stuff at that point, uh, with respect to thinking about being a consumer investor. And so I was like, you know what? The enterprise seems more interesting to me because there's a fundamental inefficiency that usually exists that technology is trying to solve for. And then my job as an investor is to make sure that I can scale that, that opportunity into a market size that's big enough that can create something that's, that's exciting from a venture scale return standpoint. And so that's what I did. I went after enterprise funds, built a process, started interviewing, meeting firms, and ended up meeting the, the, the partners at Storm and, and really ex got excited by the team, the philosophy. And the firm was going through a little bit of a transition. That transition to me sort of signaled a great opportunity as a junior person joining a team because I felt like that meant I could sort of get my hands dirtier and to touch more parts of the firm and the business of venture capital versus just the investing part of the equation. And that was important to me. I wanted to understand all of the different pieces of venture capital. And so that's sort of like what jumped me on this, this pathway. And so, and, and in some ways, the, the rest is history. The typical advice is like, go get a few years of operating experience, go start a company. I'm curious why you think maybe he said that to you. And this was out of undergrad that you joined Storm or this was grad school? I had graduated from undergrad in 2014, and then I went, worked at Stanford for two years as CEO of a nonprofit. And so this was after that nonprofit experience that was touching this whole entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so, so I think you're right. You know, like the advice generally is go get operating experience. I think he felt, you know, that at least that exposure is running this group full time and being an operator in that sense for those two years, that that was somewhat at least representative of the experience that a lot of folks want you to get. When they say go get operator experience, the big drawback, obviously, though, is I didn't have enterprise experience. And so the question for me was, you know, in the early days, in the first call it year of being a VC at Storm, was how do I build the enterprise sort of network and how do I start to work that enterprise muscle in my brain? And get smart. And, you know, obviously, I think my GPs and my partners would say I've done an okay job there since they've promoted me. How did you learn? Did you learn through them? 
It was absolutely a lot of learning through them. It was a lot of time spent actually within the go-to-market side of things. So learning about enterprise sales. You know, we have an operating partner, uh, a, a gentleman named Jocko, who also runs a, a sales consultancy called Winning by Design. And in the early days, I spent a lot of time with him because I felt that if I could understand how the enterprise makes buying decisions and that whole process, that would teach me a lot about the enterprise itself. And then I spent actually a lot of time. So one of my partners, Tehi, started to write a book called Survival to Thrival, which is sort of the B2B enterprise journey of building a startup, going through the phases of you know the unique challenges that are, are intrinsic to building a startup in the enterprise, thinking about the go-to-market fit challenges that are unique versus just product market fit challenges. And because he started that book, I mean, I think it was six months into my start date at Storm, I got to learn a lot about that process of building through his building of that book itself and how he was thinking about and how to simplify a lot of that, that content itself. And so his process of building that book over two years was in many ways my foundation and my foundational learning of the enterprise. So you started as, I guess, an associate? I was an analyst at the firm. Well, as an analyst. And this was kind of out of undergrad, I guess this was maybe six years ago. That's right. How do you get promoted at venture capital firms? How does that work? Because I guess you've been promoted twice now. You're a principal at Storm. And I want to talk about some of the other lessons learned there. But how does that work? <laughs> I've never worked at a big venture capital firm, so I don't know. It is so tough, generally speaking, I think. you know, And at Storm, I had the luxury of always having a very sort of open relationship with my partners, right? We talked about career trajectories. We would meet frequently around sort of my goals. And so they understood very early on that my interest was to grow and move on upwards. The first question I had to answer was like, do I want to be in venture long-term? When I joined Storm, I looked at it as like opening up three pathways for me. One was going into a portfolio company and getting that operator exposure in a more sort of focused manner. The second was business school. This, I thought, was one of the best entrees to be able to get into a top business program. program. And then the third was promotion and, and jumping upwards or laterally to another firm. And at the time, at the beginning, I didn't know. But when I made the decision about a year in that I wanted to build long-term a career in venture, I didn't want to necessarily go the operator path. I didn't want to go the business school path. Then it became a question of what are the fundamentals that partners look at junior bench investors that indicate to them that they'll be successful. And I think one of the big transitions for me was going from being a support role right? So enabling the diligence process, enabling the financial review process to beginning to showcase that I could build, that I had access to a network that could bring in deal flow. And that's really what I had to prove in the early days that like I could bring in deal flow. Now, I'll be the first to say a lot of it was bad deal flow because I had to learn around like what is good deal flow. I had to learn what is the right types of deals that sort of fit within what my firm likes to do. But a lot of those early days was trying to figure that out. I think getting promoted in venture funds is really challenging generally because the budgets are very different. We have a fee, a 2% fee that gets paid out and it's consistent until we raise another fund. And so if I happen to want to be promoted in the interim, well, it's got to come from somewhere. And so you better be able to build sort of the case, the value process and the value judgment of like why that added investment into you as an individual will drive long-term returns for the firm. And that's something we actually talk a lot about with Black VC and the community of help build there as well in that dynamic. Yeah, you have to show enough value where the partners are literally willing to personally invest out of their management fees effectively that with the belief that you will add obviously a lot more value to the firm over time. 
That's right. And I think that's a distinctly different dynamic than if you're a young person at a company or startup that has clear pathways upwards and like every two years you're going to get promoted. It's not like that in venture, which it can be harrowing for young people when they're trying to think through how do you build career trajectories and a long-term career plan. What were some of the other like key lessons learned around venture? At least from a deal standpoint, there were two things that kind of come to mind that I learned. One was And this is something I think a lot of people talk about, the difference between sort of a technology looking for a market and sort of a business around it versus sort of a business that's already working and a business problem that then a technology was searched for to solve for that problem. And I remember in my early days in venture, like I sometimes got really excited by like new technology itself for technology's sake. In fact, the first investment I made at Storm was in in an early stage company called Simple Emotion. And, you know, what they provide is an alternative way to look at speech to text and doing sort of sentiment analysis. So as opposed to doing speech to text and then using basically technology to understand what the sentiment is based on word order and sentence structure. They used acoustic models on the human voice to determine that. But they originally were a technology that was about providing an extra level of data and empathy building for autistic children. So this technology was used for the parents of autistic children to understand like what the emotional state of their child was. Uh, And it turns out that's a a big challenge. And so this was research they'd done when they were in college. And as they left, they wanted to build on that research. And they thought like call center technology was a really good opportunity. And we at Storm had invested a long time in TalkDesk, you know, which is a company we're still backing and and excited about that recently just raised a, a large round. And so for me, I was very excited about that. But they had a lot of challenges in actually building a go to market. And so they were just a really cool technology that didn't have yet sort of a clear sort of product market fit yet ecosystem. And so that was a big learning. I think the second big learning for me over over time was really also, you know, how important ultimately networks actually play out in, in venture capital. And I thought in the early days that like, you know, it was more about going to a demo day and that builds lead list. And then I just have to run through that lead list or I have to track a deal consistently. And I didn't really appreciate how important networks were. And I think to be honest, like I didn't even appreciate that when I was an undergrad and going to Stanford and like how networks play in business. And I really come to this conclusion over the years that like networks are so fundamentally important. And that comes then though with a lot of drawbacks as well, particularly when we discuss sort of the the challenge of, you know, diverse individuals gaining access to venture capital who might not have a strong network ties into the communities. And I just, you know, it makes so much sense that networks are so important, but I didn't really understand that until I'd been in venture for, for a little bit more than a year. And you mean networks in terms of finding the right companies, finding the right founders, winning the deal or winning the term sheet in that sense, I guess, even getting jobs in venture, like just in across the board. Across the board. Absolutely. You know, and even how you can leverage that network to help support founders after you invest. You know, one of the things I really picked up from my partner when, you know, in that first year of experience was this notion of like always provide value. Every interaction you have provide value. And I think the piece that my partners used to do that have done historically quite well is leveraging their network to provide value or connecting people and pieces, not needing to be the experts in everything, but at least having access yeah. to the experts in everything. And that is, I think, you know, one of the, the learnings I had in that first year that I didn't really appreciate. And I thought I had to be the expert. I thought my job was to become the best of whatever I was doing. And that's true, but it was also about becoming one of the best networked people and having a Rolodex of folks and, and how that could provide value in, in you know, innumerable ways. And 
being then proactive and it gave me a very different philosophy of how I approach networking over time as well. Could you tell me a little bit about Black VC? Yeah. There's obviously been a lot written about it for good reason, given all of the things that are going on more broadly with the Black Lives Matter movement and attention around racial inequities and disparities across the board, not just within the venture industry, but in every industry and in society at large. Before we get to maybe our current state, I'd love to hear a little bit just about the background of Black VC and, and your involvement with it, how it got started, the mission, et cetera. So Black VC is something I helped co-found just about three years ago with uh, Sydney Sykes, who at the time she was you know, an analyst at NEA. Um, and at the time I was an associate at Storm and just you know, was about to get promoted to a senior associate role at the firm. And it was sort of... How did you guys meet? You and Sydney? No, that's a great question. So we met at a random event, just as, you know, there are all these venture events. So it was a dinner that had been put on, you know, I don't even remember by whom anymore, but it was one of these events that bring VCs together. And, and, you know, there's always this, you know, there's another particularly black investor at any event. You know, there's always this sort of meeting of the eyes at the events and sort of the head. And she was one of the folks I had not met yet. And so we, you know, kind of found time, you know, in the next week to discuss some of the, you know, the challenges of being, you know, both black individuals in venture capital and sort of us just trying to build a relationship a little bit. And in that conversation, you know, we talked about a lot of the unique challenges of, of being, you know, young, black, and trying to navigate a career or building a career in, in venture capital. And what I realized in that conversation that, you know, that we both realized is that we had had that conversation with dozens of other junior black investors consistently. And so as we were on this journey of trying to figure it out, we realized there were others on this journey as well. And what if we could sort of connect all these individuals that are trying to figure this stuff out at the junior bench? And part of this was us all going through this discovery phase as well, right? We were looking for mentors to help us navigate and chart out that long-term sort of success in, in venture. And so, you know, naturally, you know, what do you do? You go look for partners and GPs that sort of look similar to yourself that, you know, you could go ask, you know, how did you do it, right? What do I need to do to be where you are in five years, in 10 years? And what we realized is that like, A, there were very few people we could go to and B, those people, their time was getting sort of bombarded by a growing number of us folks, these younger junior black investors. And part of that sort of realization also was that like in that period of time over, you know, basically over the last 10 years, there started to be a growing number of junior black venture investors that emerged on the scene. Very few had yet made it to sort of more senior role types yet. But this group was growing, which is a good thing, but they need guidance. And we felt like there was this opportunity to build this community of these folks so we could do shared learning around like what was working for us, what wasn't working, shared jobs, shared deals, all of that. And that if we could build that community and have a critical mass in the junior bench, we could efficiently bring those more senior individuals to our community to teach us at scale. And that's really kind of what led to our first event, which was a dinner in San Francisco where we had about 30 black junior investors. And we asked the question like, look, there's more of us than ever. What can we do? Do we think there's a problem? If there is, is there a role for a community to exist? And if so, what will that role be? And out of that meeting, six of us sort of raised our hand to become the founding board of Black VC. And then we decided, okay, let's start to try to figure this out. And we felt like the time was sort of now in some ways because there were more of us than ever before. It couldn't have happened 20 years ago because there were too few people. Like the value of the community is somewhat predicated on there being some critical mass. And we felt like we'd hit that critical mass point. So yeah, I mean, and then we you know, built off from there. 
I want to talk a little bit more about the founding and some of the initial insights. But if we just fast forward just for a second way ahead, could you just give us the very high level of what Black VC is and looks like today? Yeah. So you fast forward a few years, three years, you know, Black VC today is the largest Black venture network in the United States. We've got sort of a footprint. And by that, I mean, we've got regional focus areas in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and San Francisco with Atlanta coming live in the next month or so. It is a community built for and by Black venture investors. And so the focus of that community is providing value to the institutional venture investors out there. And when we think about that, sort of the core three areas of focus for us as a group today are one, getting more Black venture investors into this community itself. So driving and building pipeline into the ecosystem. Two, accelerating the careers once they land into venture, because we don't want to create a, a system where you consistently bring people into the top of the funnel, but are unable to move them through. And the goal there is, you know, what we are trying to do is build an ecosystem of black check writers, where write actual checks, because unfortunately, when you look at a lot of the diversity data, whether that's black, Latinx, or even women investors, the access to founders in these communities that are black, Latinx or women tend to sort of mirror the penetration of those investors into check writing roles, right? So in the black community, we've got 2% of partners that are check writers and 1% of dollars going to black founders. In the Latinx community, it's 1% of check writers and 2% of dollars entering, going to those communities. And for women, around 11% on both sides. And so we felt, you know, like we could really change that, that the experience for black founders and provide more access to the to these funds if we could start to get more investors into the community and accelerate their careers. And so those tend to be the, the two of two of the, the main areas that we, we try to focus on, this sort of entry and acceleration. And the last one is data. There's not a lot of great data right now out there around sort of, you know, how many black investors are there, how many black founders are getting back, how many black people are there in tech. And so we're focused and on trying to build a better data set itself and partnering with organizations like the NVCA and folks, you know, like Paypor out there and others to, to try to build a better holistic data set so we understand what's happening. Because if you don't measure things well, you can't actually impact real change. And that's certainly something that like the broader big tech has known for a while. And, you know, lots of big tech companies are measuring these diversity data things from the points for a long time now. Why are those numbers so low? Um, I mean, shockingly low. I think you said Latinx and Black check writers are 2%, 1%, similar amounts of capital actually going to founders in those categories. Why does that exist today? And what do you think the fundamental problems are there and why? I think at the core, it's an over-reliance on, on networking. And, and, and also, you know, within that, with networks themselves, driving sort of your top of the funnel for, for candidates, for venture firms, and then even, you know, that top of the funnel for deals. And because there hasn't historically been a focus on having a diverse network or a network of within the Black community, within the Latinx community, within, you know, you name it, innumerable communities, if you're not focusing on that and trying to do that, well, it, it's just not going to suddenly just happen. And it's really tough. So I think that's been one of the, the key challenges for venture. And I think underneath that, obviously, is also a reliance on basically, you know, two or three academic sort of top of the funnel creators for the entire ecosystem. And for us in the Black community, it's Stanford and Harvard. I mean, something like 80% of our community of venture investors came from Stanford and Harvard. And so if we're going to use that as sort of the top of the funnel. Well, then it's predicated on how well those schools can do. 
Like, look, there's nothing that indicates that just going to Stanford or Harvard is going to make you a great investor long term, not when you're still young and learning venture investing. It's certainly indicative of a network that itself is uniquely valuable, but it doesn't automatically assume success. And I think we've got to build a more holistic viewpoint of like what excellence looks like and what are we looking for at the end of the day that will allow you to be a great investor, right? If you've got a great network of early stage founders, well, maybe that's more important than you having gone to Stanford, you know, at the end of the day. And we aren't really doing a great job of diversifying and thinking things like that. And something I always tell people, there are great schools like, you know, the HBCUs that are taking a lot of great black talent, at least, uh, educating them and that we could be building relationships with and pipelines into our community and industry. But we don't do that. I mean, I'm still shocked when I meet investors who have no idea. I've never heard of an HBCU. They need that to be defined for them. And again, that's okay. It's a, it's a learning process, but I think it's that reliance on networks. And I think, you know, when you get older and older, you tend to not meet newer and newer people. People tend to sort of, you know, their networks start to get more narrow to some extent, right? As the, they, they focus and invest in those networks that are driving value and returns for them in one reason or another, whatever that value is. For us, obviously, it's, it's access to deals or it's founders that we've been able to invest behind. And so unless we consciously are constantly saying, okay, that's great, but now where are my gaps and how do I gain access to those networks and build it? It's really difficult. And, and while I think Many in our community and venture will do that. One of our solutions at Black VC has been, well, you know what? One of the easiest ways to do that is to hire a junior Black investor on your team. Everyone has to do that, but they will then provide access to their community and network. And they'll also bring with them you know, a div- very diverse network of founders that are just inherently in their network because we are all part of different communities as we go through that academic sort of motion through college, but even in the workplace. And one of the things I've seen is this big growth on ERGs, employee resource groups that are diversity oriented. And so if you're hiring diverse candidates from big companies to might have been members or leaders in those sort of communities. Well, guess what? They've got a lot of access to them to great talent within companies that could be to drive potential deal flow themselves. And so those are sorts of the kinds of things we've been looking at. And I think it's that network reliance that's led us to where we are, unfortunately. And, and it's poor. You know, on one hand, it's a great thing, but on the other hand, it's not you know carefully looked at and reflected on. It can build sometimes structurally structural challenges in at the industry level. I'm curious in your experience because I know some of the black VC. Do you call them mentors? The folks who've been out there sort of investing for some time. Yeah, the folks that are kind of the more senior folks helping out the junior folks at Black. We call them the advisors. I imagine you've chatted with all of the Black VC advisors. Many of them work at big firms. I'm curious like what you've learned or what they've learned in terms of getting maybe some of the big older school firms to care or pay attention. Because I'd imagine, I won't pick on a specific firm, but I imagine there are some old school firms, they've been doing it the way that they've been doing it forever. They are fine with their network as it currently exists and their returns, and they're going to raise the next fund no matter what. I'm curious what you've heard or maybe what some of the advisors have heard or seen in terms of getting the firms to change, particularly some of the big old school ones. Like, How does that happen? And how do they start to care if they maybe have not at where it has, has not been a priority in the past? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question and something we, we talk about and, and think about all the time. You know, so, so, so first, you know, I, I think one, one, one thing I definitely want to make sure is clear, you know, really the large firms out there, right? They've actually not done a good job. 
there's actually very few partners right. black at those yeah. firms. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to pick on anyone, but <laughs> I mean, you look right. You just look at the websites. That's right. And it's a no offense. It's a lot of old white people. So dudes specifically. So I'm curious how you get the composition of that page to change. That's right. And why and why maybe those firms will care. Like I said, we think about this all the time and we break it down into a couple sort of sort of buckets. I think first of all, you know, we make it clear that diversity and and building a more diverse investment team isn't about just doing it because it's the right thing to do, which it certainly is, but it's about doing it because it's the way to, to continue to be able to be competitive in the current market and to build teams that win, right? There's then increasingly more and more research that showcases that diverse teams build and perform better than non-diverse teams. And then that's true for us in venture as well. Now, granted, some of the data is still going to take a while to come back, given sort of our time horizon for much longer. But we're seeing that playing out in, in the public markets, in companies, in portfolio companies. And the reality is we want to be able to continue to be competitive and win. We've got to have that diverse sort of team makeup as well. The reality also is that, you know, like diversity means you bring in a perspective that's different. And, and that difference of perspective creates opportunities to understand where the current you know, market of investors or companies out there might not be serving every stakeholder appropriately. And we've certainly seen that play out before, right? I think, you know, Tristan Walker's story with Walker and Company is a really good example, right? He had a, a hard time raising in the early days, even though he's like, look, the current products out there from a consumer standpoint don't help or impact communities of color. And, and we're, there's a lot of us out there. And, and that feeds into this, this last point, which is that like, look, the country itself is changing. The world itself is more diverse than, than, it's, than it's ever really been as it continues to grow. And as venture wants to be competitive, not only domestically, but internationally, we have to think about the world and our consumers and the people we're building for and the buyers that are going to buy that enterprise technology differently and, and who are going to use it. And, and if you want to be able to build a team that's going to be able to win in that context, you better be able to have some diversity across the bench. Um, and, and look, what I tell you know these GPs of some of these big funds, the United States is going to become a majority minority country over the next 25 years. Well, are you positioned to win in that context? And is that what is that going to mean in terms of shifting everything and how you think about the world and the buyers that you're building technology for? And are you positioned to be able to win there? And a lot of firms are not. And I think there's also this growing sentiment change within millennials and Gen Zers that like they want the people they're accepting money from to represent the ideals that they're building companies around. And diversity is a fundamental ideal. And I think piece and fabric of, you know, most of the best next generation founders or best founders out there today. Um, you'd be hard pressed to say, you know, that isn't something that's important to me. Yet, you know, that's not something we have really done a good job with in the venture industry, certainly at the big funds, but at all funds, to be frank, it's something we all can grow from. When you're talking to a firm like that, maybe a GP at a firm or even a small firm, what is your tactical advice and recommendations? And I imagine there's, I mean, there's a lot of VCs and GPs that listen to this podcast, obviously. So yeah, I'm curious what you tell those folks that they can and should do in the next quarters, years, as they do begin to think about maybe diversity more actively within their firm. It starts with an internal conversation. You have to make sure you understand, you know, what are the underlying motivations of why this is important? And that sometimes means doing the research. It means also being willing to acknowledge that there's a problem and going beyond saying, you know what, we've got to do this because 
it's bad PR for us right now if we don't do it. And I think that's so important because you know, we talk about this all the time. It can't be diversity theater. Elliot Robinson, one of the founding board members of Black DC, you know, coined that term and that phrase. And the idea is like, look, you know, it has to be authentic. You have to be doing it because you understand why there's a deficiency right now and what that means. You know, you're not gaining access or exposure to from a deal standpoint or you know, from how you run your business. And so it starts there. And I think, you know, the good news here is I'm seeing more firms than ever having that conversation and coming to really authentically deciding we need to make a change. And this is not, you know, the, the first time this is, you know, this conversation is coming up and it's sort of the, the natural evolution that kind of got kicked off in my viewpoint with the whole Me Too movement a few years back. And as we continue to broaden and realize, you know what, this goes beyond gender, but gender is a big part of this, right? And I say this all the time, like you can't talk about diversity problems without incorporating gender. Because the data is even worse for black women or Latinx, Latino women. And so we have to remember this gender piece as well as we're building this. And, you know, as you and I, as two men talking about these issues, we have to check our own privilege in that context as well. I think the second thing is you can't, again, change anything you're not measuring. And so one of the things we always tell funds is like, look, you have a CRM. You can, I know you can tell me exactly how many deals you saw last year. But can you tell me how many diverse founders you met last year? Why aren't you tracking that? We should all be tracking that. Um, and it's not that much extra work for us to do. It might seem very difficult to do at the onset, but if you can't tell me across at the firm level, but also at the investor level, how many women you met last year, how many African-Americans you met, how many, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then we're not going to be able to understand where the problem is and if there is a wall, and then what are we going to do to change it? Um, and then building that as part of your process moving forward. So you can every year do that analysis and say, hey, are we getting better or worse in one of the, 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 the challenging areas? And by the way, we at Storm incorporate that model to even go a step further in the types of deals that we're looking at. So we understand, like, are we hunting in the areas that we said we wanted to hunt more in this year? And I think building that as a philosophy and as a foundation is sort of one of the, 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 the most important things every fund should be doing if they want to do a better job, at least in diversifying their pipeline. There's ultimately the reason to diversify in many ways. Your venture bench is to diversify the access and ability to invest in these communities of color as well out there, right? And, and have that entry point in. And then the third is very simple, which is like, look, it can't just be rhetoric. We can't just talk about these issues. We've got to actually make the hire. We've got to send the wire at the end of the day. We've got to be willing to go to action versus discussion. And, and, and I would argue that, you know, there's been a, a lot of sort of performative allyism that's existed where it's just, I support you, but like my challenge is like, there's someone else who isn't doing something. And so it's some other stakeholder in the venture community that needs to fix their thing, not me. And so whether that's, you know, the Series A fund saying it's a seed fund problem and they've got to fix it. No, it's on all of us to fix this and, and put in the effort. And we all deviate from the existing norm, you know, like for a great founder or for something, some X factor that gets us willing to do that. And we need to ask ourselves, why aren't we willing to do that with a diverse set of, of folks and individuals, whether those are founders or potential hires? And I think that's a, a, that's a big area of, of a tactical advice we always say. is like, think into that. Understand when do you break the rule and why aren't you willing to do that for the diverse communities out there? And then one of the simplest things, and we actually are helping enable this at Black VC, if you want to start to solve for sort of like gaining a more diverse exposure on your team and in the deal flow you're seeing, go bring on a diverse scout. Build out and think about a scouting program. 
and, and we can help you think through what that looks like. But at the end of the day, like, look, that's a great way to begin this process. And it's not about like everything having to be done in perfect harmony day one, but it's about building a process to do a better job. And we know this is going to take time, right? I don't expect every fund under the, the sun to like in five months has solved diversity and inclusion issues and the black problems, you know, in America or in tech. But I do expect all of us to have actually done something in the next six months that gets us on a process to help sort of right the ships, ultimately. All those are really good tactical pieces of advice. And was that a hint that Black VC would raise a fund at some point? <laughs> no, look, what we are, you know, we're a nonprofit. Our role and responsibility in the ecosystem ultimately is about bringing the proverbial mirror and saying, hey, look, we are in this ecosystem. We are in the depths of all these funds and we want to showcase, you know, to everybody out there that there are some problems, that it's bad, you know, in terms of the data right now. But look, we can also solve for it. The data is so bad that like, you know, by actually leaning in and saying we're going to start to solve these problems, we can make these things, you know, look very positive over the next couple of years and and meaningful changes as a community. And look, our viewpoint is part of the acceleration of VCs does mean that we want to help support sort of the community to become partners, GPs, raise their own fund someday. But whether Black VC is going to have its own fund, you know, that's not our core focus right here and now over the next 12 months. We've got a a lot of of other areas of focusing um, right now, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe one day that that makes sense for us as as an organization. I think we've always got to be sort of the realistic about one of the strengths of Black VC is that we don't compete with one another. We're a community that all works together. And if we create a fund, it could create a, perver- it could create a perverse incentive sometimes. And we want to make sure we're guarding that unique sort of space of being able to bring everyone together and not, you know, sort of tainting that pool in some way. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't vehicles that could support that community that are part of this venture landscape. But whether it's going to be a traditional fund, that I'm, I'm not sure of yet. Okay. All right. Well, if there's LPs listening, they're not racing. <laughs> Given the events over the last couple months and obviously like the massive amount of momentum behind the Black Lives Matter movement broadly, I'm curious what that's meant for Black VC and how maybe you guys have responded. And I imagine there's a lot more inbound and I curiosity in terms of how folks might help and get involved. I'm curious what that's meant for your organization in the last couple of months specifically. It's meant a lot. You know, this has been a you know unprecedented, I think, moment in society more broadly. And I think, you know, ultimately what it what's happening is, you know, we're starting to realize that after civil rights ended or that movement sort of came to its conclusion as, as we at least think about it in the history lessons context. You know, there was a lot of structural things that still prevented true equality or at least equal access to, you know, the American dream and opportunity. And I think you would look no further than the wealth inequality that still exists in this country, right, between, you know, the median black uh, family and the median white family. And you, you can see that sort of playing out. And that hasn't gotten better. And it's getting worse in some ways. And, and we in tech play a role in that, right? I mean, tech is, is where new wealth is being generated. And so we're thinking about like, how do we solve this at a society level? Well, I certainly believe we've got to figure that out in one of the the asset classes is generating a lot of the new wealth. And if we can't solve it in this asset class, one that that prides itself in its ability to quickly pivot and change and evolve 
as it realizes there's a problem in its build, well, then that sort of builds at least a pretty negative viewpoint on like whether we can solve this at the society level. Now, the good news is I think we can solve it. You know, I'm optimistic about that. And I think you know, we're in this moment of like, it starts with recognition that there's a problem, right? That not being racist isn't enough. Anti-racism is the key, right? And thinking aggressively about those structures that might have preserved or provided you unique privilege and access um, and being willing to come to terms with that. And I think, again, in venture, because we leverage networks so heavily in hiring and the deals we're going to do, um, that plays a big role. We have to think about then, are we making sure that those networks aren't in advertently driving to a less equal space or less access for different community members out there in the country, whether that's by SES sort of metrics or, or race and gender metrics. And so I think, you know, like, you know, we're, we're having this, this cultural awareness and, and that's suddenly sort of catapulted Black VC in the venture community as this organization that, you know, has for some time now been working on these issues, but it really sort of catapulted us in overnight, it seems like in some ways. And it started you know, with this event we did, right, called We Won't Wait, where we were saying, hey, look, you know, these deaths that we're talking about at the national level, like, they're tragic. But let's not forget that we in tech have a role in this, this system of inequality and, in, and lack of access that exists. And, and one of the things we've been talking a lot about is like, look, it starts with the friends and family round. I mean, you cannot have a system like we've built in tech predicated on a friends and family round that without sort of acknowledging that wealth inequality exists across race and gender and then not acknowledge like if that's going to be step one that's going to have a pervasive sort of domino effect throughout the entire industry and community Um, and that is a fundamental structural problem that exists today and so we have to come to terms with that and and work on that and so for us what is this moment meant right it's created more visibility for us it's allowed us to fundraise you know, we had a lot of actual, you know, difficulty in, in getting people in the early days to acknowledge these were problems, right? And while we could get people to help us do a small event for our community, you know, we struggled sometimes with the fact that like the community was small. So then the investment against the activity or the growth of the community would also be have to be small because people think about like how many people for this dollar can I impact or or, or, or support or help enable? And, and we were trying to, to make this argument, like that's the wrong way to think. You can't use the fact that there isn't a lot of people as the reason not to invest more aggressively. In fact, it's the opposite. There are structural problems. And if we can start to fix that, you know, we can help shape this whole community ecosystem a lot. And so that's allowed us to fundraise. And so we're excited. You know, we're looking for, you know, we're trying to stand up a full-time team around Black BC so that we can continue to build out what we've been doing and just sort of support it the way it needs to be supported increasingly. And then the last thing it's allowed us to do is accelerate some of our initiatives. And so we're running this program called Breaking into Venture. Where we're taking right now 10 uh, black fellows uh, who all have work experience and helping say, you know, these are this is a cohort of people. We're going to run through a seven week program to help equip them in a bear hug kind of way as a community to enable them to then break in as analysts and associates at firms. And we realize, like, if there's this narrative out there about, like, there's no pipeline, well, let's just lean in and say that that's that's not true. And here's how we can show that. We sent out two tweets about this initiative. We had seven candidates at seven days. We had over 160 applicants for, you know, 10 slots, a third of whom had MBAs. And so we know that the talent and the desire and demands out there, it's just people aren't channeling, accessing those communities effectively. And, and we can do that. And so we're trying to scale that. We're trying to build more programs to, to run that and just continue to sort of, you know, help sort of guide our community as it's starting to try to solve these problems and say, you're not in it alone. 
we're here to help you navigate these challenges. And yes, there are things you need to do at day T minus zero, but you know, you don't have, it's not all have to be solved overnight. And we're going to be on this process together and it's going to be a journey. I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but my guess is that the folks listening to the Origins podcast represent a gigantic amount of capital. How do we contribute and get involved in Black VC today and tomorrow? And what should folks do? Who should they reach out to? Who should they donate to? And how should we get involved with our time? Absolutely. So you can donate to us directly through our website. So that's blckvc.com. If you're you're excited about what we're doing and the initiatives and, and you know, we're largely run on sponsorship, obviously, right? And so lots of funds that are excited about what we're doing want to lean in, a sponsor and provide capital to allow us to, to run our programs. Um, some have written and been extremely generous and have written bigger checks. And within that context, and that's allowing us to, to partner on certain initiatives, you know, that are obviously still consistent with what we want to do, but they're sort of signaling, this is something we're really excited and we're not underwrite ultimately. And so that's the way, you know, at the end of the day, also, it's about connecting into our community. You know, we're very clear. We don't succeed in diversifying this community and providing more exposure for black founders, technologists, and investors if allies aren't, you know, supporting. And so what we need is, is allies out there to start to realize like, hey, look, I'm going to put time in to help you be successful as a, you know, associate, a principal. And it, and it means going outside of your own firm. But going to another firm and finding that talent and really leaning in, because ultimately that's how this, this ecosystem really sort of works, right? It's, it's that more senior talent saying, I'm going to help you be successful. I'm going to demystify. I'm going to create a safe space where you ask all the dumb questions that are you know, not so dumb, but we all have to ask at some point, right, about the business of venture capital. And then lastly, I mean, it really is about like show, willingness to hire. And we will help you with that, right? We send out a job listing every single month to our community for lateral hires. We have an entire listserv of folks that are trying to break in that we share opportunities. And so we really want folks to, to realize, like, be a partner, reach out, let, let find ways to, to collaborate. And then the ask to the community is help us solve these structural problems, right? Let's take this conversation up a level, not just from like, how do we as one firm think about these things and, and sort of allocate more dollars? But instead, let's think about how do we as a community start to think about these solutions? Because the structural challenges that, that are preventing access for Black investors and Black founders are at the industry level right now. And certainly, we can try to do things sort of piecemeal as fund by fund. But we've got to also think about what is the approach as an industry, right? And how do we use that collective, Mike? Because you know what a billion-dollar fund can do and what a $30 million fund can do looks very different. But if we can collaborate those desires to have positive gain, like we're a community of very smart individuals. We should be able to solve that. And so little things like that friends and family problem, we should be able to solve that at the, at the industry level. And it's not going to take a lot of money, money necessarily to solve it, but it is going to decide a collective decision that we want to solve this problem. And, and I don't know that one fund can solve it on their own, but it's certainly something that, you know, we need those folks and those partners, those GPs, those listeners, those LPs. We need those folks who have power to help us solve and think about, you know, those, those really good solutions that have scale to them. Because, you know, Black VC is being led by a young community of growing investors, you know, folks like myself who are still building their career. Um, and we don't know what we don't know. But there's a lot of great people who know a lot more than we do. And we just need to start, start coming together as a community to solve those problems. Amen. And notation is in. And I hope everybody else is too on this pod. And 
Just to be clear, website blckvc.com. Right. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing broadly. Seriously, very inspiring and important stuff. And I'm hoping that at the very least, we can get some new folks involved through this pod. I really appreciate you taking the time and wishing you all the best. And I very much hope that you do some Series A investments into the notation companies <laughs> in the years to come at Storm. Maybe we could even share a board together or something. I think that would be phenomenal and super exciting. And thank you and to the notation team for creating this space and deciding that this is an issue that your listeners and audience members ought to engage with because you're leveraging your platform and your privilege in some ways with this platform to make sure that these topics are getting the light of day they need. And that's core. We all have privilege and we've all got to use it to help make this community better for all of us. And so I'm thankful to you and the entire notation team for that. And you guys are doing an incredible job there. You're too kind. I don't take flattery well, but I'll take it. But seriously, thank you so much and um, appreciate your time. Thanks, man. This podcast was created by Notation. Notation is a first check venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams from day zero. Notation companies are always hiring. Check out jobs.notation.vc. You can also find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Cooley for sponsoring this episode. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high growth industries. It is the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. At Notation, we love working with Cooley and recommend them to all the companies we work with. Learn more about the firm at Cooley.com and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors, CooleyGo.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues, and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with hashtag OpenLP. Thank you.